Hey podcast and welcome to episode 10 of the MTB Fitness Podcast. Today I'm speaking to Nick Grantham. Now Nick's a fitness expert with 21 years of experience. He's a strength and conditioning coach and he's actually currently working with the Athertons. So we talk tons about that in this podcast. Now Nick's also got a book out called the Strength and Conditioning Bible and he's kindly offered to offer three free copies out to the followers of this podcast. So there's a couple of things you need to do to enter. The The winners are going to be chosen completely at random. What you need to do is take a screenshot of the MTB Fitness Podcast, and then you need to post it up on social media somewhere. So that can be on your Twitter, it can be on Facebook, it can be on Instagram, it can be on your Instagram story if you want to tag me in there. Um, but just a screenshot of the MTB Fitness Podcast, something along the lines of listening to the MTB Fitness Podcast, check it out. Then take a screenshot when you've, when you've shared the podcast on social media and email it to me. So my email is matt at mtb.fitness. That's matt at mtb.fitness. If you're struggling with that, you can just go on my website, which is mtb.fitness, and then there's a contact me button on there, so you can click that. Uh, and then email it, email it to me with the uh, subject line at the top saying podcast competition. So to get that right again, you just need to share the podcast on social media. So post a link or post a screenshot of the podcast that you're listening to it. Then take a screenshot of that to show that you've shared it and email it to me at matt at mtb.fitness. And then next week, I will announce the winners onto this podcast so it's well worth doing it'll take you 30 seconds to do and you've got a chance to win nick's a copy of nick's book which is a strength and conditioning bible so yeah other than that i hope you really really enjoy the podcast it's a great episode be sure to enter the competition and i'll announce the winners next week thanks very much Hey podcast, today I'm speaking to Nick Grantham. Nick is a fitness expert and strength and conditioning coach with 21 years experience. He works with pro athletes and teams and has authored his new book, The Strength and Conditioning Bible. So Nick, thanks a lot for coming on, mate. Thanks, Matt, for asking me to come on. Ah, it's good to chat to you. So I'd love to start off with, if we could, if you could just tell us both, really, both me and the listeners, a little bit more about you, your background. I know you were really interested in sport when you were young, weren't you? Yeah, so uh, I think I think a, a, a very sporty family. Um, I, I wouldn't say any of us were particularly uh, world beaters, um, but always always pretty active, playing football, rugby, uh, athletics. Um, I, I then got into combat sports, um, and that's kind of where I spent a lot of my time. That probably really gave me the thirst for exploring a bit more about how to physically prepare myself to, to be as good as I could. So I actually started reading books probably for the first time um, around about sort of 14, 15 when I got into Taekwondo. Um, and then from there, it kind of led me to then uh, having left school early, going back to night school, studying, going to university, getting a degree, getting a postgraduate degree, and then starting off working with um, athletes as a sports scientist before moving across into strength and conditioning so uh yeah i've always been always been very active and in into sport and i'm very fortunate that i can i can now sort of spend the last 20 plus years working alongside some of uh, the country's best athletes absolutely so what are some uh, examples of the types of athletes that you've been working for i know it's a very uh, very large question yeah i mean there's all sorts i've been very fortunate uh i think at the last count it was something like 36 different nice. sports that I've covered. So I first started with the British gymnastics team. I then moved across to England netball 
And then when the English Institute of Sport first came online, I started working as a, a head of uh, strength and conditioning in the West Midlands. So that was really where I started to be exposed to lots of different sports. I think we had a couple of hundred athletes in our region covering upwards of 20 sports. So uh, from able-bodied to disabled, so work with wheelchair basketball, wheelchair rugby, uh, Paralympic equestrian, right the way through to uh, in your able-bodied sports, track and field, rugby, um, yeah, rowing, all, all sorts really. Um, and then more recently, when I left the Institute of Sport, set up on my own uh, as a private consultant. So worked with uh, British basketball, um, professional football, international football teams as well. So uh, yeah, a, a fair, fairly broad spectrum. And I guess the reason why you've sort of got me on the podcast is over the last couple of years, I've spent time working with a pro mountain bike team. Okay, you know what? I didn't actually know that. So what's the pro mountain bike team? Um, so uh, for the last couple of years, I was working with a track factory downhill. Okay, cool. Um, and who are now more recently uh, Atherton Racing and Atherton Bikes. So yeah, just brought out their own bikes, haven't they? They have, yes, yes. That was only what a week ago, two weeks ago that they announced it, wasn't it? Yeah, the, uh, yeah, week Friday. So it's it's an interesting times for the for the team. Absolutely. So do you currently work with them on the sort of the strength and conditioning side of things, then? Yeah, so my role is uh, primarily linked to physical preparation. So that takes into account strength and, and power development as well as what they would do, like slap bang in the middle at the moment of their winter training. So looking at their road work, so their cardiovascular fitness, as well as helping um, advise and guide on uh, the nutritional input onto their program. So look after everything related to performance, really. Got you. I'd love to dive into more detail on that. I think before we go a little bit more into their training and obviously keep it as, as vague as you need to, um, what I'd like to ask, you've obviously worked in so many sports there. What kind of gener- what kind of specifics do you find that every single sport needs? So I imagine that you, whenever you're going into a different sport, you probably start with the basics that are the same for everyone, don't you? And then how do you then adapt that to make it specific to the sport? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um... So everyone, everyone believes, of all, all those 36 sports that I've worked with, everyone believes that their sport is unique and that it's unlike any other sport in the world. And, that, and that's because the people that are, have been doing it are sort of kind of immersed in that, in that world. And to an extent, they're right. You know, every sport is unique and it will have its own specific requirements and have ways of physically preparing. But as, as you said, leading into it, there are a lot of commonalities and there's a, a huge amount that you would do across all sports. So I know when I worked at the English Institute, we would have multiple athletes from a wide range of sports all trained at the same time. And to the untrained eye, you know, you may look at that session and think they're all doing the same thing. Um, and it's just that there's a thread of, that there's a, there's a thread that runs through all sports. So I think strength is a, I would say that as a strength initially coach, but strength underpins a lot of the physical qualities that, that you see across all sports. Yeah. You, you then got to have your, your basic cardiovascular fitness and then depending on the type of sport, you're going to be looking at speed and uh, change of direction and agility. Um, and again, that's probably one of the areas where there are some fundamental principles that are the same, but speed and agility on a bike would look very different, obviously, for a running-based athlete. So that's probably where you start to look into 
things in a bit more detail. So when it comes to the specifics then with you writing your plans, do you find that, say, 60% of every weight session that they do is working on the general strength and the general conditioning and then 30%, say, is bike-specific? Or does it work more of a, right, we'll do one month which is focused on ironing out any weaknesses and then the second month building a base of fitness and then a third month where we go into the real specifics of the sport? How how does that tend to work? It really depends on the individual that you're faced with, Matt, and where they are in their career and what they're looking for their outcomes. So um, some people, you might just look at them if, let's say, they've never, let's say they're really into their riding and they've never actually been in the gym before. A very simple general conditioning program uh, would would have real big payoffs because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's almost like an untapped reserve that they've never worked on. So yeah. when I've worked with recreational um, riders you know they're very reluctant to give up time on the bike whereas if you say look I just need 30-40 minutes twice a week with you and I you know you can almost guarantee that they'll feel stronger on, on the climbs that they'll feel more stable um, on the descents or if, if they're you know looking at putting big endurance efforts they've, they've just got more capacity um, simply because they've not done anything um, once you start working with people that are well conditioned then you then you really do have to start digging into the detail and and figure out well where is it in terms of their performance that they need to see the benefits so if i look at the downhill guys you know do we spend time getting them good coming out the start hut is it more about being able to hold on um to the bike in the bottom third of the of the race um so you really start to dig down and even with your recreational riders those are the sorts of conversations i'll be having with them you know it's like you know during during your typical sort of two three hour Saturday ride, you know what you like on those first climbs. How do you find that? What's it like when you're coming into your final um, single track sections? What is it that actually kind of what's your weakness really, or how can you be beaten as a as a rider even if you're not competitive? It's like uh, you know I find it really tricky on the switchback climbs, you know maintaining my tempo, or, or you know I really struggle when I hit a big sort of compression. Um, that then starts to give me clues as to where I think we might focus our attention in terms of strength and power development specifically. Yeah, got you. That makes sense. So for kind of your everyday rider listening to this, yeah. you, you want to start start on the basics really, which I would completely agree with. You're building up that real strength basis. And if you've not done anything before, you, that's going to give you massive results anyway. And then when you've got that and you feel like you've really got the basics nailed and you've got that base level of strength, really start to try and work on the specifics. So if you find that you're doing drops and your chest is caving in, you might want to work on that. Or if, like you say, you get to the bottom of a run and that's where you're getting tired, you can look at specific plans to, to benefit that area. Yeah, so I think um, whilst... I'm not trying to do myself out of a job here, but <laughs> the vast majority of people's bodies are not that fussy when it comes to either their cardiovascular fitness or their strength. So if you've if you've never sort of really tapped into this, if you're just a recreational rider that likes to go out cut times a week um, with a group or individually, and you've not really considered any strength training or, or specific road work in the winter, uh, or, or you know jumping on a watt bike or something like that. To begin with, your body will not be that fussy and just doing something consistently in, in those sorts of areas will be mass, a massive benefit. Um, I think it's then once you've got that underpinning foundation, then you might say, 
yeah, actually, I need to really work on uh, my my general endurance. So I'm going to put a block of road work in there on the on the bike in the winter, or I really need to be stronger through my upper body. So I'm going to focus on on that. So um, I think a lot of people sometimes get caught up in really complicated and complex routines when actually they just need to do something. Yeah, something basic, really, just to make sure that they're doing it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Of course. So what kind of work do you tend to do with the Athertons at the moment then? So I'm sure a lot of people listening to this would be interested to hear what their week looks like, obviously without giving away the secrets. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) is probably the words. Uh, Matt, I think it would be fair to say that uh, not not just with the downhillers, but with all sports and athletes that I work with, you've got to be good at planned unpredictability. So there's a lot of demands on their time, um, yeah. and particularly with Rachel and G, in terms of where they are in their careers, uh, it's a very different approach to if you had a younger rider coming through. So you know we spend time looking after pre-existing injuries um, from just the amount of time they've spent on the bike over the years and also uh, the the crashes that they've had over the years. So there's a yeah. certain block of training that will address their, their sort of injury reduction and, and maintenance aspect. Um, Rach and G have very different strength requirements um, as, as riders. So we, we definitely work on strength and power development. And then equally... We, we've got blocks in, in the winter of more sort of basic endurance work and both riders have their preferences as to the type of work they do. Um, so that so I give them a little bit of what they like uh, and make sure that they then have to do some of the stuff that maybe is a little bit more disgusting uh, but that needs needs to get done. So e- even though they, you know, they're both downhill competitors, they're very sort of individual uh, approaches to what what they need and, and also where they are in their career you know what they uh, enjoy doing as well um, which, which is a big factor for those two got you so what's an example for them both of the disgusting things that they don't want to do but will obviously massively benefit them um, so I think some of the if you do some very hard short efforts with um bouts of recovery they're just they're just never nice yeah and i think i think regard whether that's rach or g or, or anybody you stick someone on a watt bike and make, <laughs> uh you know go hard for uh, you know what is a relatively short period of time six to sort of 20 seconds doesn't sound like a lot but when you're burying yourself and then maybe going again after sort of a minute minute 30 and you're doing 10 or more of those efforts that's yeah. a pretty disgusting uh, vomit inducing workout and I don't, don't, don't say that sort of to be big and clever you know it's not Honest. it's not big and clever to make people puke but actually the side effects of that type of session is you normally do get a little bit of nausea just because of um what, what's taking place in the body um so yeah they're, they're always difficult sessions to sell to the riders to do of course, but it's selling them on the benefits, I suppose, isn't it? A lot of the a lot of the people listening to this podcast will be following my twelve week training program, and part of that is weekly interval sessions. They do intervals twice a week, so a lot of people listening to this will be nodding on, knowing how how minging they are. So I think it'd be good for them to know that people like G and Atherton don't particularly enjoy doing them, but they do them for 
for the benefit, really, because it needs to be done. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a thing that you have to realise as a coach is that, you know, the downhillers or well, anyone, anyone riding, any sports person didn't get into the sport because they loved going to the gym and knocking out what bike sessions. They got into the sport because they liked riding through the forest, going down big descents, doing crazy things. So, um, you know, the gym stuff, the the stuff that, that like I do myself in, in the garage on the watt bike, I don't particularly enjoy it, but I enjoy what it gives me when I get out to the trails, you know, uh, and I'm by no means a, a good, I'm just a recreational mountain biker. I like my flowy single track sort of stuff. Um, but I know that the work I do in the winter in, in the, the garage just makes life a lot easier on those initial climbs. It means that I can ride out for longer. So they're definitely worth doing. Definitely. I think a lot of mountain bikers that I speak to, and you'll hear the same, I'm sure, will say, oh, I really don't like the gym. You mentioned it earlier. They don't want to give up riding time for gym time. But you're right. It's not about enjoying the gym. It's about enjoying the benefits that the gym gives you. Yeah. You know, I felt it last year, definitely, when I first started going. Once the weather starts turning nice, and you can take some of the layers off and actually get out there and, and, and ride. It feels so nice when your lungs yeah. are sort of bursting um, because you've done a little bit of work in the winter. So that's, I, I talk about, and I think it's with, with all athletes and with all aspects of training, it is like putting money in a bank. You know, in your bank account over the winter, you just have to regularly deposit some money. And if you, if you deposit that money, it just means that you've got a good reserve to draw on in those summer months when you can just get out there and get after it and maybe just keep topping those reserves up once a week but spend the rest of the time out, out on the bike. So we, we have that with um, Rach and G, is that now's the time to put the, to put the money in and as soon as the weather is good, that's time on bike and time on bike becomes the most important thing and we fit the gym in and around the rest of it. Um, yeah. That's the key. Got you. And at this time of year when it's snowing and the trails aren't as good, they're obviously not going to be out as much. So then you can really put the effort in through the winter to, like you say, get strong and get fit. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned before that you do nutrition as well with the Athletons and obviously with all your other athletes. Um, in both the general sense, and I suppose we can go into more specifics, what's your general views on nutrition for mountain bikers? And it can be as basic as you like to start with. I think... Again, you know, everyone looking for these magic sort of pills and potions and, and what they should should do and shouldn't do. I think there's an over-reliance sometimes on, on supplements and supplements are really there, as the name would suggest, to supplement something that already exists. So I think yeah. the cornerstones are a, a sensible diet, you know, so making sure that that is a balanced diet, that you've got um, as, as much sort of natural sources of food coming in. So it's avoid the highly processed um food uh you know do we need to be chugging down gels and depend i mean again depends on what sort of efforts you're doing and how long you're out for but i think a lot of people can get away with go out on a good breakfast you know fuel yourself up on a porridge or something like that uh, with some fruit a banana take some um maybe some electrolyte drink with you just so you've got or, or just even cordial, you know, just out for a couple of hours. You, you know, you shouldn't be depleting your energy resources massively. And then, you know, I've, I've got into my homemade sort of uh, energy bar sort of ball things. They're, they're dead easy to make yourself, you know. Um, and and away you go. Uh, do you have to be having, again, something that's been manufactured? There's an ease of use, I guess, just by buying something off the shelf. Yeah. But, 
Um, I don't think people need to be quite as sophisticated, again, quite as sophisticated as they would imagine. Um, you know, just I, I completely you know, agree. I mean, the way I look at it with, the, with, with every athlete I work with is a food first approach. Yeah. Take food first approach and, you know, the supplements come at the end. I think I did, I did a big, uh, well, I did an event across Scotland in, in September, sort of a, an endurance event running and, and cycling. And um, I think I had, I think I had one gel during the, and it was a 12 and a half hour effort. All the other stuff was real food, either that I'd made myself or that we picked up along the way. You know, we didn't need anything super sophisticated. So what sort of things did you eat for that 12 and a half hours then? Obviously, you only had one gel. What were the other things you were eating? We had all sorts. Um, so we went from, so again, my breakfast was a good old breakfast, porridge. Can't go wrong with that with a banana. Uh, bananas were in the mix as we, as we go along. I had a homemade sort of trail mix with all different sorts of nuts and a few little jelly bean type things in there and a bit of chocolate uh yeah a bit of dairy milk came into into the mix as well uh funnily enough some crisps just to keep the flavor because if you if you're eating for 12 and a half hours you know if you're chugging down gels every hour you do about three of those and then you want to you want to vomit every time you see one so yeah uh, if you're doing a big endurance effort like that it's about having a mixture of sweet and savory uh which is what we try to do uh i made myself some little uh, energy balls um just out of uh, you know, sort of calorie dense or energy dense foods. You know, your nuts and pulses and chocolates. And ju- just ate ate a lot of all sorts. And then the main thing was really just making sure the electrolytes were going. So uh, a simple sort of effervescent tablet, uh, like a high five type tablet. That that was probably about as sophisticated as the supplementation went. And I think I had one, like I say, one energy gel when it was getting very moody at one stage, and you just wanted that quick quick shot of energy yeah but you you see people chugging this stuff down all the time and what what it does do you know the more of those supplements you're taking the more it plays havoc with your guts mm-hmm. and you don't want that when you're in the middle of a big big sort of event either so keep it natural food first yeah i agree we have a very similar view it sounds on nutrition at the beginning of the year i released a nutrition guide which is just entitled stupidly simple nutrition for mountain bikers and that is like keeping it as simple as possible and it's so similar to what you've said there it's just about eating good healthy meals having good fuel before you go out riding when you're out riding having proper food as much as you can and again not relying on supplements a guy uh, in my facebook group i can't remember his name but he commented this week and he said that he was really struggling with his recovery and energy and does anyone have any recommendations for supplements i was like so he got a few replies but when i saw it i was like right so supplements probably isn't the first place that you want to be looking here i was like how's your sleep how's your recovery and how is your food in general like are you eating enough are you eating enough of the right stuff because what you said just there people can look for the for the quick fix of yeah you need to take bcaa's or you need to take this and they are just that tiny percentage if everything else is nailed so it's good to hear that you've got the same views really yeah listen um this this year with speaking to Rachel pre-race and and going into some some of the towards the business end of the year where, where it was mean to win world championships and the world cup uh you know I sounded like a broken record because the whatsapp message would come in and and she's like I kind of know what you're already going to say <laughs> and it would be be brilliant at basics you know nail your nutrition nail your sleep recover hard after each sort of practice run in qualies and it's 
it's like it's as simple as that. You know, all the hard work is done. People are always looking for fancy pills and potions. Just like be brilliant at the basics. Yes, and if that can make you a world champion, then it's definitely good enough for me, you, and the rest of everyone listening to this podcast. Yeah. She's, she's got. They've all got a few other things in the mix as well that make them world champions. But <laughs> you know, you, I think people would be surprised at the simplicity of, of some of the things that we do, and and it is, um, you know, getting the fundamentals nailed is the key. Absolutely, absolutely the key. I mean, I used to. I've got a friend that I ride out with now, uh, and the amount of kit I take is way less than I ever used to. I, it used to be like I was going out for a five-week expe- expedition. I'd have my camel back on, I'd have my rucksack, I'd have all, all sorts. And I, I go with far less. You know, I still go with stuff that, that means I'm safe, so you know, I've got spare kit that I need. But in terms of I might have just a water bottle on the carrier. If, it's, if I'm out for two hours, if I've eaten before I go, and I go out, and I've I maybe got a... Uh, an energy ball that I've made that's it and the fluid I should be I should be good yeah go, you know you don't need to have five liters of fluid on board and five five flapjacks and a energy gel yeah I agree I think a big part of that as well is making sure that you're eating right in the couple of days de- well all the time but in the couple of days leading up to the ride as well isn't it so if you go for a ride on a Sunday but you've not eaten anything all day Saturday you're probably going to be struggling but if you've had a good nutrition day Friday Saturday and then you have a good breakfast in the morning you'll probably find that your energy stores are full and you're good to go would you would you agree with that yeah ab- absolutely absolutely for sure so it's probably why well, you see so many fat, out of shape people on mountain bikes is because they're eating so much. <laughs> they've done their, they've done their one and a half, two hour ride, and they've just chugged it all back on board. That's yeah, that's so true. So you you think they're eating too much while they ride? People probably are. Yeah, they're constantly chugging away. It's like you've only done an hour. Come on, <laughs> you've only got you've only gone five miles from from civilization. You're going to be okay. Yeah, you don't need to get a thousand calories on board. Yeah, maybe that's a bit harsh, but you know. <laughs> I'd say one common mistake I do see actually with um, just uh, everyday mountain bikers, with everyone really, is not eating enough before the ride, during the ride. Say they go out for three hours, like not eating anything during the ride, and then not having anything ready for when they finish the ride. Yeah. And then what will happen is a couple of hours will go, and then they'll eat everything in the kitchen. Um, so I'd say a common mistake actually, I tend to see and there will be people making the mistake of eating too much while they ride is actually eating nowhere near enough before or during the ride or straight after and then finding that they're starving in the evening i think it's all about it's all about prep you know so if yeah. you edge yourself before you go out if you've got enough fluid to take on board whilst you're out you know um maybe, maybe a liter for an hour half a liter for, for an hour depending on all depends on the climate and how hard you're working yeah uh, and then you're right, you know, when you get back, it's, it's those couple of hours after you've ridden. If you can refuel as quickly within those couple of hours as possible, you're good to go. So, again, it's knowing where you're riding to and from um, and what you're going to do. But, but you know, you don't have to take uh, half of Marks and Spencer's out on the trail with <laughs> yeah i agree so uh what would you say for mr joe average rider what's the best thing to eat in that two hours after you ride um well you you've probably had you want a carbohydrate rich meal um so you that's probably one time when you would go for a slightly more more processed more refined carbohydrate but uh you know get some pasta on board get a nice big jacket spud on the go um, some something with rice, you know. So a good, 
carbohydrate within that. You also probably want to have some uh, a decent protein source. So again, looking for something like your chicken or uh, you know tuna. Um, some sort of protein will be useful to to help stimulate those repair processes because you will have broken down um, and you know caused a little bit of tissue damage with the types of riding you've been doing. So you know a good blend of carbohydrate and uh, protein and uh, a nice big slice of chocolate cake. Uh, as well would be my preference <laughs> like it i'm sure everyone listening to this will be rubbing their hands together now <laughs> so on i had uh, alan millway on the podcast on friday uh, so his will be airing i think when everyone's listening to this alan's will have gone out in the week prior i asked him what separates your pro mountain bikers from just a very fast very fit amateur rider so what separates a pro from an amateur uh, i'd be keen to hear your answer um putting you on the spot now yeah well he's given his answer already um i don't know um for me what separates pro from from the amateur athlete in any sport i guess there's there's going to be a whole bunch of nature and nurture going on so there will be for certain sports whether that's downhill or any other sport there's going to be a certain amount of nature that you've got a genetic predisposition um to, to be good at a certain sport and then that will, that will get you so far and then to stand out is then the nurture so being surrounded by an environment that allows you to optimize those those sort of genetic predispositions yeah so I think there's a the, the nurture starts to come into it so if you imagine people like the Athertons of where they moved to to live and then for someone like Rach chasing her brothers around all the time you know there's a, there's a huge amount of nurture taking place there um, and then I think it is along the lines of consistency of approach and commitment you know you have to be fully committed to be a pro athlete you've got to be fully committed you've got to dial in your nutrition your training you've got to be prepared to um, do the things that that your amateurs or um, recreational people aren't prepared to do and that also involves in certain sports you know you've got to be you can't be risk adverse you know you've got to be the sort of person that's willing to put yourself on the line and be prepared to crash and I think Rach has, was said that last year at the world championships you know she said she was prepared to, to crash and I think that's really what made the difference on that that 10 second victory was not necessarily any fitter or any stronger than the opposition it was just yeah I'm ready to go for it and I'll take that calculated risk and it's and it's all or nothing. So And it pays off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean it's great when it does pay off. Um <laughs> but I think, you know, for someone like me who's a, a recreational mountain biker, uh, and I will I've, I've ridden out with with the athletes at times and there's stuff that they do and I you know, I like to think I'm okay at riding bikes, but I'm just like, <laughs> oh my god, I'm not <laughs> I'm, I'm useless and I'm not going to do anything like what you're doing there at the speed. <laughs> How, what's it like? Obviously, we all, we've, a lot of people listening to this will have gone to a World Cup and they'll watch the downhills ride around the track uh, and they'll have seen it on TV. What's it like actually just going on a general trail ride then with the Athens? I presume that you're a fairly decent rider. How does it feel to be out and what's the, what's the difference in speed and skill and the overall level? I thought I was an okay rider uh, until I... <laughs> We went out, actually this time last year, I went out with Rach and we went to one of her local trails and um, she was coming back from her 
uh, broken collarbone and dislocated shoulder. So she was probably taking it easy. And um, I was, it was okay on the climbs. I was nice and fit for that. And then we got to the first sort of single track section and off she went. And I tried to hold her, hold her back tire and she was gone within uh, you know, a couple of pedal strokes and I'd almost crashed within the first corner because I was going too fast. Uh, and it just, the, the rest of the trail was just basically Rach waiting at the bottom of each section <laughs> for me. And then just to rub it in, she went, yeah, I was probably going about 50%, Nick, just like waiting for you going steady. And, and I was sort of on, on my limits. So it, it's, it's insane. Um, of course what what they are capable of doing and that, that's the same across all sports you know we often as as coaches talk about this with all sports it would be amazing to put general public up against the elite athletes so people mm. will absolutely batter football players or rugby players or or track athletes and go oh, god that that wasn't very good how rubbish were they there and it's like okay well let's line everyone up and run run against the same bolt yeah he's finished you're halfway through the track you <laughs> football you go up against this uh, Premier League player. And I think it's not until you actually see for real what elite athletes can do that you realise, oh, wow, okay, that's that's the difference between me and them. They're, you know, we're kind of mortals. They've got something a little bit, little bit uh, tasty. Of course. Did you see the video that did the rounds on Instagram of G overtaking a couple of a couple of your average guys on the uh, Red Bull Fox hunt? Did you see that? I've seen a few of the Fox hunt videos, and you know that's that's a great example because yeah. some of those guys on the, doing the Fox hunt will be decent riders, you know, and yeah. that's that's not an easy course out there in in Ireland. So you when you see the lines that G takes, when you see the way that he kind of almost rides over people, yeah you're like that's insane because he's just eating the ground up it's it's crazy yeah it is i agree i totally agree it's it's next level isn't it <laughs> yeah and so i think yeah a huge amount of genetic predisposition but then you have to lump onto that a lot of hard work and just a willingness to do what others what what others don't want to do basically yeah yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And it's similar to, to Alan's answer. Alan's answer was kind of twofold. It is in the same kind of vein as yours. The first thing you said would it was, and I know you will agree with this, it's the ability to be able to switch on the focus. So your average rider might do seven runs down a downhill and get up to speed by the end. And then as soon as the race come runs, read the race the race run comes round. It all goes to pot and they're making mistakes and falling over. Whereas the pro rider like Rach will just be able to do it and switch it on over and over and over again. Um and the second thing he said was like you've just said, the ability to be able to sacrifice everything really and when he tells them to do something, they just do it. So if they say stretch daily and do this stretch, whereas your everyday person might miss sessions and have reasons why they couldn't do the stretches that day, your pro will will just do it. Yeah. yeah, to an extent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some, of them do. some need a little bit more persuasion than others, but yeah, I echo the sentiments, definitely. So I'd like to chat a little bit about your book then, if you don't mind. So how th- this isn't your first book, is that right? Or? Um, it's, it's kind of my first grown-up book in, in that it was you know, published by a, a, a publisher rather than self-published. So yeah, I've got I've got some chapters in other books, and uh, I've done a couple of self-published stuff, but this would be what I'd call a proper book. Yeah. So, what made you decide to write it then? It's called the Strength and Conditioning Bible, isn't it? For those listening, what what made you decide to write that book? 
Um, so I left the English Institute of Sport and I started working um, for a period of time with sort of general population, recreational athletes. So I spent five years doing that alongside working with the pros. And I was probably, I was pretty nervous actually because I'd only ever worked with elite athletes and, and could I actually work with just general population and, and people like myself that just want to go out and ride bikes at the weekend or take part in triathlons. Um, and I very quickly realized that actually the principles that you apply with an elite athlete, everyone can, everyone can do that. And that the strap line was everyone can train like an athlete. And I, and I really do believe that. And what I was seeing in, uh, most sort of big box gyms was a pretty low level of training advice. Um, and some of the shapes and positions that people were getting themselves into were making my eyes bleed. Um, <laughs> uh, so I just felt, you know what? as we become a more physically active um certainly when people get older you know you hit your 30s and got disposable income so everyone's buying kit and getting out on the trails and running and riding and wanting to be more active i think a lot of the basic information that people were getting in gyms just wasn't fit for purpose really so i really believe and still do that everyone can train like an athlete and use those principles. So that's what I tried to do was take the make a, and write a book that my wife could pick up and read and go to the gym and, and execute a decent program. It wasn't really aimed at, at pros, uh, although I think you know they, they'll get a lot out of it. It wasn't really aimed at coaches, although a lot of coaches have been buying it. It was aimed really at your recreational sport sports person that wanted to train uh, appropriately. Um, so that's that's what we did that's what i put together that sounds awesome so obviously we can recommend at the end of this podcast i'll be leaving the link to get your own copy of the book in the description what are some key takeaways from that book that we've not spoken about already and um, that people can take i'm sure there's hundreds yeah so i, th- I think that again we kind of covered some of it being brilliant brilliant at the basics um so look at efficiency of your training so it's not always about hours spent in gym it's about getting in doing your work and then getting out so pick exercises that are what i would call functionally dense so an exercise that gives you maximum payoff for for the effort that you're putting in so it's picking exercises that are efficient uh picking exercises that are functional and that's kind of one of these sort of nebulous terms but functional means you know is it does it kind of look like the exercise or the activity that you're going to be performing? Do you produce the forces and the speeds of movement in the same way? And are you, are you using the appropriate energy systems? So if it ticks all three of those, then it's a very functional exercise. And I go into more detail of that in, in the plan. Um, it's taking care of things that can derail you, you know, your injury reduction, your injury prevention type activities. So making sure that that's in there, the kind of the boring stuff, but it needs to get done to keep you on track for the sport that you like and then recovery being one of the big areas and I think as you alluded to earlier I I talk about recovery cycle and the three things in that are body management nutrition and sleep Uh, so you know those three things underpin your overall performance so body management is just taking care of your of your body with the basics you know getting out having a little walk different recovery strategies having uh going swimming or something like that and I go into more detail what that means flexibility mobility would come into it then there's nutrition so making sure that your nutrition is on point as we've discussed before and then a real important area is sleep and it's not to become obsessed with sleep but you know just 
have a feel for what's the right amount for you as an individual to function and how does your working week set you up for what you want to do maybe in the evenings or at the weekends and sleep has a massive impact on, on performance. That sounds brilliant. It sounds like you cover absolutely loads there in the book. So I definitely think it'd be worth people checking out. I know I'm going to grab a copy as well. There's a bunch of there's a bunch of uh, exercise. There's, there's a 12 week training plan in there. Not that I want to take away from you. Uh, no, no. Uh, for yours as well. Um, but there's small small little examples of different sessions that you can do for injuries and yeah. It, it just what it what it does is it shows people how they can put together their own programs um, as well. So it gives them. A little bit of insight and a little bit of knowledge um, and, and what it would mean is if they would come at someone like yourself they come with a little bit more of an informed choice and probably makes your your job a little bit easier and you can target exactly what they need um, off the back of it absolutely and I think the more that people know the the better really and the more you understand why you're doing the exercises in my plan and why why you want to squat as a mountain biker and why you want to do this exercise I think the deeper that people listening to this go into learning the better really like the more you know the better absolutely perfect just makes your riding a way more way more fun yeah yeah I totally agree I think if you just try and ride more and ride more and ride more it's you're going to get to a point where you end up injured or you're not progressing I think spending that time off the bike to get stronger get fitter to prevent injuries is time well spent so I think that's a really really good place to end the podcast is there anything that you would like to end on then uh, well first of all where should people go to find out more about you and find out more about the book and then it'd be great if you could have kind of the the parting thought for the podcast yeah so twitter i'm, I'm coach nick g so you can find my sort of daily ramblings on, on twitter there i'm on instagram that's 0226 so that's z-e-r-o and then 226 um so you can find me on instagram there um, and then if they're interested in a few more detailed ramblings, then it's nickgrantham.com, and the book is available on Amazon and all good bookstores. Perfect. Well, I will add all of those links into the description as well. So is there anything that you'd like to end the podcast on? It can be anything at all. Uh, I think just, uh, just embrace physical preparation for what it will give you in your, in your chosen sport, whether that's you know, downhill, cross country, road cycling, whatever it is that flicks your switch, um, a little bit of work off the bike will have a massive impact on the bike and it'll make it way more fun and there'll be bigger, cheesier grins at the bottom of each, uh, each trail. Sounds good to me. I think that's a great way to end. Nick, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. No worries. Thanks for inviting me, Matt. Cheers, buddy. Speak soon. Welcome back. I hope you really, really enjoyed this week's episode. It was great talking to Nick and I'm sure, like me, you're taking tons away from that episode. So remember, there's a competition on for a free copy of Nick's book. That's the Strength and Conditioning Bible. To enter, all you need to do is share the podcast on social media. You can do that by taking a screenshot of it. You can do that just by posting the link up and that just needs to be on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, whichever social media platform that you're on. Then you need to take a, a photo of that or a screenshot of that just as proof and then email it to me to matt at mtb.fitness. That's matt at mtb.fitness. And then when you've done that, next week I'll be picking the winners completely at random. I'll announce them on the podcast and then Nick will send th one of three copies out to the three winners. So it's well worth doing. 
Other than that, I hope you really enjoyed the episode. I will be back next weekend with another one, and I will uh, see you then. Thanks very much. <laughs>